Ladies and gentlemen, tonight's performance is sure to crack your nuts and sugar your plums as we discuss the American perennial Christmas classic, The Nutcracker Ballet, here on Creative Things. Hello and welcome to Created Things, the podcast proudly brought to you by what I don't hesitate to call 20, count them, 20 of the world's twinkliest toes. I'm Father Gabriel Torella, <laughs> medievalist, priest, guy. Um, with me, as always, is my friend, my co-host, Jacob Flores Popcheck, um, artist, psychotherapist, twinkly toe possessor. Um, how are you doing today? I'm okay, but you did your math wrong because I, I unfortunately only have 19 twinkly toes. One of my toes um, was was badly damaged in the war, and mm. its twinkle just never came back. It's an, so, so like you still have the toe, but its twinkle it was right. The twinkle is just gone. It got know. it got twinkle frostbite. I could have gone pro, man, if it yeah, weren't but for that no, one only you know, but that's toe. your 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 fully one twentieth um, uh, right, disabled the, with respect to twinkliness. So that's just not. Yeah, it's just the, not the twinkle injury happen. gets me down, man. I know but I it's really pro. yeah. That's like a I, that's like a made for TV Hallmark movie coming coming right at you. Could have tossed. Um, I could have tossed that football right over that mountain. Yeah, exactly. That's what you do with twinkle toes. I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a Napoleon was, Dynamite reference, but you know, as I as I was thinking about that, I was like, actually. Gentle reader, I have never counted Jacob's toes, which I think is a good thing. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's good no, to be friends, but like, I don't think I've ever sat down and counted any of my friends' toes. So I think this is a yeah. good thing. It's a sign of like a, appropriate respect for boundaries of like self and other, yeah. while also still you know recognizing that we're friends. Yeah, that's a that's a personal boundary of mine. Just don't just just, just don't do weird shit with my toes. Yeah, just don't friend. or don't specifically don't don't count them. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, just the, like the bad count. The, Boundaries. I count. Don't count them. I count. I count counting among my list of weird shit, which is why I just don't do math. Yeah. Well, that's. I respect that because you know that's. Um, yeah, numbers can only hurt you if you play their game. So you just just don't do it. I respect that. Speaking of numbers, we have uh, not just one of us, not just two of us, but three of us on the podcast today. I'm joined by repeated friend of the show, voice of our outro, producer. Dancer, artist, and love of my life, uh, my wife, Jessica <laughs> hey! Flores Popchak. Hey! Hello! I'm really happy to be here. What's up, girl? Um, I love hanging out with you guys. I, w- I should hope so. <laughs> Big fan of the podcast. I also should hope so. And, and you have all your twinkle toes intact, famously, in fact. I do. I do. They have had some close calls. Um, definitely lots of scrapes and bumps I have gathered along the way, but all twinkle toes are intact. All accounted for. So tell us the reason we're having you on this episode is because this is a very dance centric episode. Um, and you're already referencing the injuries you've incurred. Uh, can you give us just like a little highlight reel of your, your background, why you're a particularly uh, good guest for today's topic? So I have a background in dance. I trained in ballet and tap and jazz and flamenco nice. and about every kind of dance you can imagine for about 10 years. 
And uh, today I'm actually wearing um, School of American Ballet. Let's see if we can show them. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> where Shout I out. went to like a summer program and my sister studied for a while. And I am big fan of dance, big lover of dance. Um, unfortunately, don't do too much of it anymore. But I'm very excited to be here, share what I know, and get excited with you guys about dance. I've been kind of bothering or whispering in Jacob's ear a little bit about trying to do something on dance. So I'm very excited for this. Yeah, I think it's a good season for it. Um, I mean, and and I think you're underselling yourself. I mean, so so you you danced in New York for a long time. I've shouted you out for that before. And then, um, I mean, I remember last year in our parades episode, I gave you a shout out because one of your one of your larger dancing credits was that you were a dancer in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. So this is true. This is true. Incredible. <laughs> Sometimes incredible. I don't even forget that myself. Like, oh yeah, I did that one year. I guess I did once do upon that. a time. Yeah, huh, funny. See, That's this so is why incredible. this is why you need me because I just remember your accomplishments better than you do. <laughs> Husband and accomplish rememberer. Yeah, yeah it's go. like it's like a brain trust, but specifically for your accomplishments. I respect that. I respect yeah, that. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Within your brain. Yeah. So the reason that we're bringing you on today, Jess, is because. Um, we're starting our parade of Christmas episodes here, hopefully. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, um, but I want to do a couple of Christmas episodes. And and one that you and I, Father, were discussing maybe doing last year when we were talking about doing our first ever Christmas marathon um, was just this like weird phenomenon that you – I think you observed it. Um, well, maybe you can do more justice to it, but you had sort of observed something about – how people approach the arts differently at Christmas time. Uh, yeah, and, and there's and this. The well, Nutcracker there's this, was your main example. Yeah, so there's this specific thing that, like, if you're in any big city, particularly in America, um, like around like heading in, heading into the month of November of uh, December, excuse me, um, like suddenly you're going to see, um, if your city is big enough to have a ballet company, you are going to see a, a ton of really lavish advertisements for like as lavish as the as the budget of the city um and its ballet company can can process um lavish advertisements in every media medium for um the nutcracker a big a big performance of the nutcracker um and then like any level of society that you are plugged into where there may be any kind of collective dance performance, um, if you are paying attention through the, through the month of de- December, will be pushing various versions of Nutcracker performances on you. So if you have like kids um, uh, or like at schools um, that have like ballet or dance programs, they're going to be having, they're going to be performing selections from the Nutcracker. Um, if you have, you know, kids who do, do any kind of dance, they're going to be doing some kind of selection from the nutcracker um like regardless of what kind of dance they're doing um and then if you just like wander around town you'll see um because it's such a strong association at so many different cultural levels then you'll see all kinds of um what you call like second order or like negatively expressed like parasitic versions of of the nutcracker so it's such an it's such an expectation of like um the american especially but north american in general um 
uh, or at least American in Canada. I don't, I don't think it's so strong in Mexico. Um, uh, experience of like heading into Christmas um, that like, then there's all these other things. So there's all these like nutcracker parodies. Um, a friend of mine and I will like swap back and forth. Um, and th- these are like, usually the, these are like the very small profile things that are be like, you know, somebody's printing this out on eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and putting it on a signpost, you know, I mean, so the really cheap level stuff, but there'll be, you know, so there's like, a hip hop nut nutcracker, uh, like dance, like a break dance nutcracker, a jazz nutcracker. In fact, in uh, fact like- the Reverend runs the hip hop nutcracker currently playing on Disney Plus. Currency. This is this is exactly this. So when you when you want to watch the Nutcracker, but you've got the runs, then you you go to the this. You know, um, that's how you do it. Um, no, it's exactly it. Like so, it's just it's just everywhere. And I thought like particularly with the Nutcracker, this was a funny. Fu- I mean, we, there's this occurs in all kinds of other media. Like one could talk about the way that like there's something pretty similar with the Messiah, um, for instance. Um, yeah, because it's fairly similar with the Messiah in in America, but um, but just thinking specifically about the Nutcracker because like I th- I think the amount of like the number of Americans like the sort of circle of Americans who have like um, personal experience with ballet either from just going to ever see one, let you know, or or dancing it or whatever, um, and then the number of people who will have like experience at the nutcracker that's just a circle you know like it's yeah, not a venn right, diagram yeah. it's just a circle um and then yeah, like it's fascinating which is so weird which is so weird that like for us it's, it's like every americans maybe like one experience with a high arts or theater arts like yeah. i i teach an after school program and last week, a bunch of the kids were dressed all fancy and they were telling me all about how they went to see the Nutcracker for their school's field trip. Oh, my god! And this is like a normal thing. Like oh this happens yeah. all over the country. If you go to, I don't know, a pretty decent school, you're, you might end up going on a field trip to the Nutcracker, whether you like it or not. And and these are people who, I mean, whether it's individuals going and buying like tickets to this, or like in your example, whether this is school administrators taking everybody to this, this is not a group of people who give a crap about the ballet the other 364 days of the year. It's not like the principal when they're planning out field trips are saying, yeah, well, we've got to make sure that we see, you know, Swan Lake and we've got to make sure that we see Blue and we've got to make sure that we see all these things like all the rest of the year. No, nobody, nobody's doing that. It's just like for some reason, the Nutcracker is not just ubiquitous. It's also obligatory right. <laughs> to the degree that like I've even talked to people before who I'm like, oh, have you ever seen like ballet? Do you like ballet? And they're like, no, not really. Um well, you haven't even seen the Nutcracker. Well, I've seen the Nutcracker. Well, right? of like course. It almost, I didn't say ballet. Almost, I said the Nutcracker. Hello. Right. It like represents its own schema separate from ballet somehow. It's um, yeah. It's incredible. And then there's all these delightful. So when I, the first time that I ever went to the Nutcracker was at the Joffrey in um, Chicago, where the um, very nice, which is lovely. It's a it's a it's a really wonderful performance. The um, uh, there's a they have a an original choreographed version of their own, um, which we'll get into is, is sort of a 
also a ubiquitous part of the of the um it's you it's ubiquitous changeability is part of what's so wild about it and fun about it um but so they have a they have a, a choreographed version of their own um that's really quite lovely it's all sort of based in the um it has still some of that same old worldly flair and feel, but it's all based in the like Chicago World's Fair time frame and space oh. and stuff. Which I do, I do really want to talk about regional or different variations and versions. Oh, of we will. The We're gonna get to it. Oh, we gotta sure. get there. Yeah, totes. so like <laughs> I think that's I think that's what we all want to talk about. Most. Yeah, totes, yeah. <laughs> so like so, but it was just like wild because when I so that was my first time ever going because I I sort of became interested in ballet a little bit later and um i uh, it was amazing because like i went not having any idea about like its sort of cultural place in the american experience other than just like recognizing that it was a, a sort of a, a christmas ballet as far as i knew you know and um sure yeah and i went and it was like all of these sometimes moms and dads but ubiquitously moms with little girls dressed to the nines i mean oh like my god the crinoline just like so much crinoline under these little macy's dresses that these poor kids cannot even sit down they're sweating bullets but they were like but it, everyone like the like the energy was palpable i mean yeah they were ecstatic ecstatic like like um well this is the level of like oh, just, just ahead, like, with, like a quick analogy for like I'm trying to think of like when have I felt like energy like that just like sitting like the anticipation the joy just a like, raw joy and enthusiasm and like everyone knows that something special is happening here I mean like a sort of a a differently culturally placed experience would be like um I don't know when I was a when I was a teenager and like the first of the new Star Wars things came out and like oh sure um, yeah. every and like that midnight showing like before before they had like pre 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 showings when like you you know we we stayed up we waited in the parking lot until like literally 4 a.m. to like or 5 a.m. when they opened up the ticket office um when they you know and and all, and then like so everyone who was in this theater has gotten like three hours of sleep and they spent previous night like in a parking lot um to get tickets for this thing and it's like a really big deal and some people are dressed up for it but like everyone is like kind of sort of conceptually in this like very keen space for it but that took like that was like 20 or 30 years of like sort of like silence and anticipation and building and everything right, in the hell making. Of a lot of build up for that. Um, and then of course it was, it was, it was literally unrepeatable because what came out of it was, was like uh, a desolating abomination. Um, and so like, so that's like the closest analogy I can think of. And in the end, it's actually fairly distant um, because there's something weird about this, like energy repeating every night, like every space where this is performed, you know? Yeah, I mean the the closest I've come to it. So I I may have even mentioned this before. I, I think I've told you this, but I can't remember if it was on the podcast or not. But so our we have a mutual friend who's really really obsessed with uh, like professional wrestling, and he came out to visit Jess and I, and he strong armed me into going to a WWE. Uh, I want to say show because I'm an artist. Um, match, I guess. I don't know. And basically, it, it, it's a show. It's yeah, a show. it's a show. And he wanted my opinion afterwards. And I was like, you don't want my opinion, dude. And he was like, no, no, what's your opinion? I can handle it. I was like, it it felt like ballet. Like the crowd was like losing their shit. And it was very choreographed. 
and it was very like performative and broad and i was and like the storyline yeah and everyone was like sort of shakespeare waiting for the next chapter to happen right it oh, felt funny. very like yeah, yeah it yeah. felt very like ballet plus toxic masculinity you know <laughs> that's cool <laughs> i mean both of those um, things but like but that's just to say like for for people who maybe have somehow haven't seen it or something like that is the vibe when you go to the nutcracker like there there is this buzz when you go in like i felt at at literally wwe or at you know waiting for star wars or harry potter to come out or something like that and yet you're right like with those events there's all this build up i mean like even with the wwe thing right they'll build up to that match for months as they sort of you know express their hatred for each other in little interviews and stuff like this right to build anticipation but the nutcracker is literally just midnight of the clock of the year just every year like it just happens there it's just gonna come and so and i don't know anybody who's sitting there in july being like oh shit i can't wait for the nutcracker in summer. oh my god it's gonna be amazing like nobody's doing so how is it able to get the same kind of anticipation that these other media have to build up to for such a long period of time it, it really baffles me it's incredible yeah, just, it really I, is. I'd be curious to hear about your experience. Like, um, you know, so I am just going from the presupposition here that as uh, as somebody who was heavily involved in dance um, for 10 years, that like. Y- there is just no conceivable way that you did not not cracker. So if you could, could you oh, talk a little bit about yes. that? <laughs> no, cracker. So, so hard, dude. <laughs> so probably out of. The 10 years I danced, I probably performed the Nutcracker like eight or nine of those years. Oh, my gosh. Like the Nutcracker is one of those things. If you're a dancer of any age, there is a place for you in the Nutcracker. Mm. So it works very well for stepping through each level of dance and there being different roles or different things you can do. Um, so growing up in Albuquerque, um, there was a local dance theater that was part of, and it was connected to the school I went to. So they would basically involve all the kids, everyone in the school in the Nutcracker every year. So I have had my, <laughs> full experience of nutcracker um as well as seeing many performances as well was that something that you guys like did you feel the buzz that father and i are talking about um if not in yourselves like from the people who were coming to see it was that something that you guys could kind of ride on like compare that to your experience performing other uh, you know, ballets or, or other, you know, performances period. Like what, what's the vibe both behind like backstage and also coming off of the crowd? Sure. So at least from my experience and what I've heard from a lot of other dancers, the nutcracker is that one thing or that one performance that, that you kind of dread. Oh, really? it's like, okay, sure. <gasps> okay. Here we go again. You like the music comes on for that first rehearsal, maybe in like October or whenever you or September, October, when you start rehearsing for the show, 
You're like, here we go again. Oh, man, we're going to be hearing this all season, not only in rehearsal, but when I go to the mall shopping for Christmas gifts, I'm not going to escape the music. I'm not going to escape the posters. This is going to be my life for the next several months. And it's going to happen year after year. So it's this like, all right, let's buckle up. Here we go. Let's try to support each other and get through this thing again. (laughs) And my experience backstage was kind of like as much joking and jovialness as possible to make it fun for the cast. Because we're doing this thing every year. It's usually the same. And we have to try to make it interesting and fun for ourselves. But for the audiences, there is this joy and excitement. And when it comes to performance time, like that's one of the things that gets you through the shows. Because you're getting ready for the show. You see all the little girls and their princess dresses. Um, maybe at the performance they're selling like hot chocolate and cookies before the show. Or delicious cinnamon cr- roasted nuts. Right. And it it sort of Pre-cracked. creates a special atmosphere. You see how much everyone's looking forward to it, how everyone much enjoys it. Families, people of all ages coming. And you're kind of like, okay, this is why we're doing this. This is this is kind of cool, I guess. But leading up to that is usually a lot of like tr- tired dread. Like, oh, okay, it's nutcracker time. <laughs> oh, here we go again. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't that doesn't totally surprise me. I mean, even just from thinking about like like the Joffrey in Chicago, which is not the world's biggest ballet, um, but neither is it is it small. I mean, it's a it's they're, a yeah. Of, they're definitely very well high mid range. Yeah, it's like a high mid range um, ballet company in America, and like the Nutcracker is a fourth maybe of their yearly productions. You know, so like yeah, do- I was actually looking this up, and for most ballet companies. The Nutcracker brings in an average of like 40% yeah. of the year's revenue. Holy crap. The Nutcracker is a huge moneymaker. So this is why every company does it annually. Um, most ballet companies have a season, um, just like any opera company or a theater company. Um, usually something in the fall. Um, something in the spring, maybe summer, and these will be swapped out with all kinds of different productions. They're usually different every single year. But the only thing that's constant, like every December, <laughs> is the Nutcracker. Yeah, come what may. For most companies. And, it's just you know, such and, and, a big moneymaker. And unless you're, you know, the New York City Ballet or the San Francisco Ballet um, or a handful of others, like you're probably only going to be running two or three other full full ballets um the whole season long right um then you'll you'll know you'll do smaller things smaller productions um sort of short series of short dances new 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 pieces that kind of stuff um but even a pretty well funded 
uh, ballet is probably probably only going to have two or three other sh- other full full run full length shows besides the Nutcracker. So that's saying like that's about a fourth, maybe a third of everything you're doing the whole every the the whole year every year. So which is to say like if you're a dancer in that company, your whole life, your whole career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So why? I mean, why do we think in our own experience that this is? Maybe we're jumping. The, maybe I'm jumping the gun by asking this question too early. Maybe we need to talk about the history of it and, and regional performances and stuff like this to get insight into it. But, but it does. I mean, forty percent like that. That actually shocks me. I thought it would be a quarter of their income or a little bit higher. But like, that's wild that it's that much. It's Why? Very, very high. Why do people? I mean, I, I don't dislike the Nutcracker. I I like the Nutcracker a lot, but I like ballet. Right. Like I actually genuinely enjoy ballet. So I feel like I don't understand why this one stands out to people. (laughs) Yeah, it really is a bizarre phenomenon because even after trying to do some research, I'm still a little bit like, why did this catch on so hard? Which I think we should back up a little bit into some history if you guys yeah. don't well, mind yeah, let's do and, that and yeah the way i want to do that though is is father gabriel you you kept throwing out that this is such a big thing in north america and like the nut that i want to dig into that because the nutcracker is a german like fairy tale from the 1800s french and german and then it's a russian ballet mm-hmm. ostensibly i mean the you know the american version george balanchine and everything but like the, I mean, this is like hardcore Europe stuff. Is this yeah. not the case in Europe? Which I guess probably goes into like our history. Well, yeah, so but I'm guess- saying, but I guess I'm what I'm asking you, Father Gabriel, is like you're in Bavaria, you're in the kingdom of Bavaria right now. Like, it, Wait, do so people I'm in Austria not right pop? Now? Actually, I'm not. Okay, Bavaria. fair enough. That's different. Okay, I don't know things. Um, but do people not pop off for the Nutcracker in Europe the way they do it- here? It does not have that. I mean, it's they do it, they do it, but it's it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit more like um, like the Messiah, actually, which is to say that like for I always instance, say that the, nut- that the Nutcracker is just like the Messiah. The Nutcracker is just like the <laughs> Messiah. Um, where, for instance, like the um, the Vienna Symphony um, has one performance of the of the messiah which is i missed it unfortunately uh it was on saturday um because of the, the messiah is just it's one of my favorite um That's sort of classical type pieces I, I adore it it's the thing um, about the messiah he just he blink and you miss him yeah blink you know? and you miss him you know um <laughs> but for instance they're doing two nights of performances of um bach's christmas oratorio um which is like mm. never performed in america um and and I, I was in a couple I, w- I was in bavaria actually last week and uh and there it was I, I saw that it was similar there too so um it has a relative i would say that it has the relative a certain relative place um can i i did look this up though can i give a, th- a thumbnail sketch of the history of how this became like the american christmas dance sure dude yeah yeah definitely okay, so uh like briefly um, right. So E.T.A. Hoffman writes this 1816 short story um, that is, it is it's so very weird. vaguely it's so associated. Weird. Yeah. And it's like really <laughs> only very, it's like, it's like very loosely inspires um, Tchaikovsky's ballet from 1892. Very loosely. Very excru- excruciatingly loosely. Okay. Um, so... If, however, you have, I will just going to put, put a shout out right now. Like if you have a, a dance lover in your life, um, I, 
get a copy of this book called Nutcracker Nation by Jennifer Fisher. Um, it's this Ooh. delightful, delightful book um, by uh, that was I think originally based on. A PhD dissertation, which normally means boring as all get out and kind of stupid. I know because I'm writing one. Um, <laughs> it's a marvelous book. It's just about oh, like it is, the whole book. I don't think book, I've heard of that. It's a scholarly book um, written very approachably. Um, the entire purpose of which is to investigate exactly this question: like, how did this become the the ballet in America, oh, North America, and like, how did this happen? Um, and there's a uh, uh, there's a long there's of course the, the whole book is an answer to the question but um but the, sh the sort of nut of it to be cracked is that um basically it comes to america um at the end of the 19th and early 20th century already as you know with other russian ballets it's just like okay it's a russian ballet you know um it starts to take on a life of its own in so it first gets a full season production um not yet at christmas time just a, but a full season production just of its own full length production um in 1944 at the san francisco ballet um mm -hmm. but then a big a, a sort of a very critical moment for it you re, you mentioned this jacob is george balanchine um, at the new york city yes. ballet in 1954 um both cases this involved essentially making a new piece based on of including the plot a new plot and of course new choreography and stuff based on the same score um so it's mm -hmm. they're substantially yes. new works um even if they you know have real connections but you no know, that's fine for ballet that's yeah standard. they needed some newness because i could i Please add like in, a yeah. back no <laughs> so when the nutcracker first came out 1840 um tchaikovsky maurice pettipaw like the big duo composer and choreographer um, back for the Imperial Ballet in Russia. Um, they had just really popped off, I think, with Sleeping Beauty. Uh, maybe Swan Lake had already happened. Nutcracker happened. And even the composer was like, th th this was not one of our best. Like, both of them were kind of like... Well, because didn't Tchaikovsky have, like, a full-on series of suicidal panic attacks during the writing of this thing like i wrote down i i want to find i wrote down Ooh, i don't remember from him but while was, you look at that note oh i this, got it i got it right here the nutcracker he said, he said i have been he been i've been making vigorous but vain efforts to work on this <laughs> nothing has come but muck and the nutcracker has turned into terrifying feverish nightmares so hateful that I dare not describe them. I am tortured by the realization that I cannot properly fulfill the task I have undertaken. <laughs> That's amazing. So, and it was kind of a flop because it was the nutcracker and they paired it with, uh, I think, an opera. And the nutcracker, everyone was like, ooh, this is not good. We prefer the opera that's going on. So big flop. Um, so needless to say, leading back to your point, Father Gabe, is it needed a major refresh? Actually, for sure. I want to dig in the flop thing just because this was one of the pieces I found in my uh I actually looked up reviews from <laughs> the original production of Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker. Oh, and hot. it wasn't just a flop, like people people were mad it existed. Yeah. Like yeah. um one reviewer said, For the woman dancer, there is very little in it. For the art, precisely nothing. 
And the artist, and for the artistic fate of ballet, it is one step downward. And then another reviewer said, first of all, the Nutcracker cannot only, uh, in, in only event be called a ballet. It cannot be called a ballet. It does not satisfy even one of the demands made of a ballet. Oh my God. That's amazing. So like this thing was reviled. Yeah. So there was a mood about this. There's a mood. But then I guess Tchaikovsky in his bitterness does like a second cut of the whole thing where he just releases like, I think it was like eight of the tracks, like eight of the the musical compositions and just calls it the Nutcracker Suite. And that, I guess, starts getting included in a lot of Russian symphonies. So even though the ballet is hated, the music starts growing in public opinion, which I guess then is what gets taken in this sort of portfolio of Russian ballets to America, which is where you were picking up father right um surprisingly uh there is some real significance to its american life that in 1940 disney puts it in fantasia um Mm -hmm. so he takes he takes passages from the nutcracker suite uh and he sets it to like fairly surprisingly good actually um animated dance um from like plants and stuff Um, oh i mean fantasia is incredible and like just like yeah, yeah. Well, so, so, so Fantasia itself is so is so interesting, and but it just it just again for a country that doesn't have that didn't have uh, a high exposure, especially in many places, to like um, sort of high arts and performing arts, and especially ballet and things. Um, it inserts in this really major way um, this music and its association with dance and its association with a certain amount of frivolity and sort of like openness to. F- like free form stuff and everything that's like kind of in people's minds and, and, and in people's ears and they're sort of, and it, you know, it, it, it had a very formative effect on people. Um, then, okay. So then Balanchine, Balanchine sets, so does his own compos- his own version of it um, in New York city ballet in 54 um, that becomes, it starts to become a really big thing. And partly it's important that they're in New York. So they're right next to like mm-hmm. where like all the major TV studios are. And they're looking for like Christmas programming and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And so 1957 and 1958, um, Balanchine's production of Nutcracker is broadcast on, I think CBS, um, on Christmas night. And this is like, these are these critical, it's like this critical, mass market moment where like all of america suddenly like uh got nutcrackered got nutcracker basically like he's exposed <laughs> to this their, now they got their nuts cracked you could even say you could <laughs> one one could even say you know and so it's so suddenly like everything's and it's not just that of course i mean there's lots of things coming together but like you've got the strong association with like culture rising culture um exposure to high arts association with a sort of like pop version of high arts which you're going to be getting from like fantasia um family traditional values sort of fun christmas like all at once um and like basically this is sort of these are these it's things like this that are all going into the mix that makes this like the definitive but this is all specifically United States of America and Canada practices, but they have to do with like um, immigration practices, cultural dynamics, post-war dynamics um, in, uh, in our, in these two countries, especially. Um, And like, interestingly, one thing that, that, uh, that this author points out is that like, um, 
basically in the like 50s and 60s um it's it's like really in reinforcing and giving a certain expression to this like it's old it's old but it's new it's like traditionally family um oriented and it's like kind of it's thematically and intimately sort of wintry um you can map it onto a christian yuletide christmas experience but it is fundamentally like unrelated to it absolutely speaking um and so like it's and then it's like all this like kid friendly sort of centered around children this like yeah very bright very whimsical there are children in the production um famously in george balanchine's nutcracker um the main character clara is a little girl um which in a lot of other productions sometimes um she'll it'll be an adult woman or a more advanced dancer but it's a little girl who is the main character of the ballet yeah and this is this is one a remarkable thing that this um this woman was is put the author this author is pointing out is that like partly so it's in the it's in the 1960s that this becomes cemented in like american cultural milieu and then dance economies as like the the christmas piece um it stops because in the 50s and even the early 60s it's still being produced sometimes in like june july whatever just random times but by the end of the 60s it's only ever done and always done um in 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 you know christmas time um it would be unimaginable to have uh, any other time of the year inconceivable inconceivable yeah no exactly right um and she has this interesting point that like this is kind of tied to um among other cultural influences sort of feeding into this um is that like this is the it's the 60s and the later 1960s so you're getting a, a certain turn towards a youth culture a certain um embrace of of like the young and then a certain adult mm. um, uh, uh almost idolization of the young and youth and children and all of this and then that gets cemented in this really dramatic way and say, like, for instance, the 80s, when those same like boomer kids who were being sort of like held up and idolized and imagined as Clara and all this kind of stuff. Now they're like handing that on to their children, you know, Oh sure, um, yeah. who are like um, they're they're like feeding their own inner child and then like also giving their their own children this like profound sort of mm, experience of um, uh, of like again like the youth culture the the like celebration of like after school activities and all this kind of stuff so it's like all of these in it, there's this weird way in which the nutcracker actually sort of represents and ca- encapsulates a lot of the a lot of the cultural movement of the united states particularly in its way of experiencing and living uh, sort of high arts and culture from like, I think 1950 pretty, onward i think pretty subliminally too i mean this is me really sort of freudianly projecting upon it I recognize that, but I, I think there's something inherent about the Nutcracker that does represent a sort of post-war obsession with um, extraness or or magnanimity, as you would say, Father Gabriel, or like just just kind of over the top finery, right? Because in you know, if this were made now, if someone reinvented the Nutcracker now, and in fact, people have done, and it it is it has been unsuccessful. Like I think Disney did a live action movie a couple of years ago that was just absolutely trashed, right? And and what the ones that really fail all do is they're sort of um, they invert it where maybe the rats aren't actually so bad, and like 
you know, because the rats are obviously the antagonist here. And maybe like in the case of the live action one, spoilers for anyone who would want to see it. I don't know why you would. Um, like the sugar plum fairy big twist turns out to actually be the bad guy, right? At <gasps> the end or something like this, right? But like the actual, like the subtext of the whole thing is very um, the triumph of finery over these dirty rats right and like the battle is the first half then we have intermission we come back the rats are dead and then there's just like all of the different princesses and princes and czars of um tasty foods you know the peppermint king and the tea queen and the you know whatever they all come out and just dance to celebrate the rats being dead so, to such a degree. And I'm not actually making a claim to this, but to such a degree that if someone wanted to, they could read because this is a, you know, ostensibly a Russian thing then taken in post-war America and adopted as its own. You could sort of read a subtext of like traditional monarchy and capitalism's triumph over like these dirty little street commie people, you know, like, like there, there is that kind of a vibe to it where. People are uncomfortable with that, I think, more now, but it gets grandfathered in because of the tradition. And and it does I would I would sort of posit that something about this show matches what Americans are wanting and thinking of themselves um from 54 on, right? When Balanchine puts this out, uh just this sort of celebration of over-the-topness um at the expense of those who would be gritty and mean-spirited and dirty and of the streets, you know? Is that going too far to say? I don't know. It's an interesting idea. This, um, uh, yeah, this, this, this uh, lovely author is just saying that, like, um, you know, so part of this is, is, of course, it's a little bit of an ethnography as well. So she's sort of like asking, interviewing a lot of people who like a were either part of Nutcracker or like just watched it or whatever, and so that basically like basically everyone says over and over and over again that like the message of the nutcracker is that like dreams can come true what yeah 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 which is amazing and like uh and that i don't know that's like something that's whether that is accurate or like top like you know you know sort of in the content of the piece or not is completely irrelevant because if that's if it's broadly received in that way it's just it's just broadly received in that way and we just have to accept that um and like um and that is that to me like is a very like second half of the 20th century very american thing is that like we want yeah that's just very charming you know that it's like it can it again it can map comfortably onto religious experience um, it can map comfortably onto ideas about Christmas, both secular and religious notions about Christmas. Um, it maps really comfortably onto like idealized visions of like family time and what you hope for real family time and all these kinds of things. Um, and like it, it, it just in every possible way, it is just like, this is really served up to be, um, a really delightfully kind of like spread over the culture way of experiencing like the month of December. Yeah. You know, so like this is in a certain way. And I mean, like obviously like dreams can come true. This is, this is a very, this is a very superficial and sort of frivolous um, takeaway from, from, or like motivating factor, but like, but it's a motivating factor and I'm, you know, even and, and it, you're, to your point, Jessica, like you, I, I think it's I think it's important 
um, that in many most contemporary productions of it, it's a little girl. And be- part of, because part of that is like, well, my little girl could do that. Not like yeah. in 20 years of like foot breaking labor, but like <laughs> maybe if she's really good, she could do that in like five years. Yeah. And I think there's something cool about that. And I think that's why we see so many families go because the parents or maybe the children can see themselves in these roles. And also, there literally are so many children that are in these roles. You you get families going to the Nutcracker like families go to a dance recital because grandma and grandpa have to go see little Jane be an angel yes, and see yeah. little Billy be a baby mouse. Yeah. So it's not just, um, yeah, it's a family tradition. It's looking forward to these dreams. But then also uh, families coming together to see their little kids in the show, which can be very delightful and which doesn't really happen um, a lot because most ballet companies, you have a professional group of adult dancers and they have their own productions they do all throughout the year. And so the Nutcracker tends to be the one chance that maybe kids in the neighboring dance school or the dance school connected to the professional company, they're like, this is my chance that I can somehow be a part of this bigger thing. I can be a part of this professional company with real dancers by being a little toy soldier. And well, that's actually something I wanted to ask you more about Jess from the backstage perspective, because one of the things I had guessed is that so like one of my favorite ballets of all time is Dracula. I think there there's a there's a version of Dracula as a ballet that has almost nothing to do with the book and it's just a really phenomenal uh production but there's a very limited number of roles, right? Like the 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 principal male dancer gets Dracula, the principal female dancer gets the woman he kidnaps. And then there's the role of the priest and the role of her dad and the role of the prince. And then everybody else is either a peasant in the village or one of Dracula's zombie wives who do these incredibly creepy sort of jilted uh, ballet dances throughout the thing. Just really amazing production. But there ends up being this sort of cast system that there inevitably is in most ballets where like you got your principles up here and then everybody else is sort of down here. But the Nutcracker is not that, right? Like there are so many amazing roles to be had. You can, you can be the Nutcracker or you can be, you know, Clara or Maria, depending on, you know, which production you're in. But you could also be Grandfather Drosselmeyer, who's a badass. You could be, um, the Rat King. You could be the King and Queen of, what is it again? Tea, peppermint, chocolate, and coffee. I think those are the four, right? Well, so, depending on your regional production right. and their interpretation of the story. Right. And then there's, you know, Mother Ginger and all the kids that come out from Mother Ginger's skirts. And it's like, there are just so many amazing characters you could be. And they're all, they all kind of get the same amount of screen time because weirdly, like the Nutcracker and the little girl, despite being the protagonist for the entire second act, pretty much just sit there and watch it happening in the place of the audience. Like they don't really have anything to do. Um, because ostensibly all these, you know, lords and kings of the different sugar and toy worlds are coming to perform for them. Um, so like 
there is a sort of lovely equality of character where if my, you know, if I, I would imagine if I'm a dancer and I'm coming home, I feel just as good about getting like the Arabian dance as I do about getting like the sugar plum fairy dance. Right. But is if I'm certainly if my little kid comes home, I can be just as excited for my kid that they got Clara as I can that they got, you know, the bumblebee, you know, because it's all <laughs> kind of unilateral. I mean, is that, is, is that inference of my, like, does that resonate with your experience backstage on these things or, or was there more of a hierarchy that I'm suspecting? Um, I mean, I feel like there's always a little bit of a hierarchy in dance. Like there are always, there are still the good roles right. um, that you want to get. But I think the Nutcracker does even it out a little bit. And I think something interesting about the Nutcracker and how successful it is, is a lot of companies have tried doing other story ballets where they can include maybe children. Um, like you see, I don't know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves mm. or Peter Pan or the Wizard of Oz. A lot of movies and all of these, sort of pantomime type, you know. Right. All of these different story ballets where maybe we can involve more kids or we can diversify the type of roles in the ballet to maybe make it more accessible to the community. So I think that's something interesting that the Nutcracker Ballet has done um, for like dance culture. Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. I, I we don't I, I I we don't have a ton of time. We don't have as much time as I'd like for this. So I want to um too too brutally, but I want to pivot into talking about these regional performances because I do think that that is a key to the success of the Nutcracker. Like we're talking about how people can sort of project on it, that it sort of is this dancing Rorschach test in terms of you can kind of project anything <laughs> you want onto it. And and that yeah. definitely is made especially explicit with how creative um, and, and kind of local pridey people can be in their interpretations. Um, what are some of, of y'all's kind of favorite versions of this thing? Oh my goodness. There are so many. Um, well, I just want to go back a little bit on what you're saying and say, like, oh, sure, yeah. I I think it's amazing that, I mean, the Nutcracker is so big and so popular. It does happen every year, everywhere. And it's so easily adaptable that everyone's like, okay, where is, how are we going to make this the tradition of not just the country, but our city, yeah, our uh, which is tradition. so, so amazing. Yeah. Um, make this our own. Yeah, like even in my hometown, they've fully adapted the Nutcracker to be uh, themed to New Mexico. So oh, that's so you cool. Have, really? Like, instead of there being like, um, I don't know, peppermint candy canes, you have roadrunners or like really weird southwestern creatures and treats and things um, that happen. They're like specific to kind of a Southwestern Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Which is That's really so fun delightful. and funky. Um, yeah. But you still get the quirky, fun, over the top, f- magical feeling of the Nutcracker. But it's something that the people of that area can particularly appreciate um, and understand and fall in love with and make it feel more like this is our 
family's yearly tradition. Um, so yeah. that's a fun one. The I Pacific Northwest Ballet in Seattle has an interesting version that uses the um the original illustrations of the ETA Hoffman's Nutcracker as inspiration estimated, for their set and design. Time of arrival Hoffman. Yes, exactly. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. That's his full name. <laughs> yeah, which I find is interesting. So they try to, I guess, um, dig a little bit more into the weird, quirky, kind of dark feeling of the Nutcracker and, um, and also try to tie that to the actual composition of the music because we don't have to actually talk about this. But I find fascinating that we have this big, beautiful, romantic period score that has a lot of um, kind of emotional, uh, maybe a little bit dark um, sounding songs uh, and music. But it's all behind this very like fluffy, strange, weird, fantastical ballet. And so I think Pacific Northwest Ballet, they try to connect more to the score and reflect that in the dancing. Yeah, I think that's really great because um, it does connect. Uh, that helps us connect back to the, the point that you raised, Jacob, or the question you raised, Jacob, about um, like, you know, whatever certain sort of like socioeconomic implications or backgrounds here is that like, um, so at one level, you could say like, so there, you know, there aren't any mainstream like sort of like gritty, dark, gritty reboots of the Nutcracker, you know, where like, we're going to use the same score and it's going to be the Nutcracker, but it's like way dark. And it's like, you know, Clara's like a waif child and like, you know, um, <laughs> the grandpa is, you know, is this like capitalist pig and like, you know, nobody, nobody will ever do this. And part, partly, I mean, as a mainstream thing, like I, I talked about like the small scale sort of like parodic or satirical productions that you get. And like, yes, you you get all that, all kinds of stuff like that. But like, but that's, you know, those are for 30 person audiences, you know, or they're, they're small productions for, for small groups. Um, but, so partly you'll never do that for, with them. You'll, you will never see that on a main stage in a ballet because it will be economic suicide uh, because that, 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 that ballet company would shudder. Um, it would be over that same season and they would never come back. So, so that partly it's that, um, but like, you know, there certainly is a there's a big risk there, and I think that's partly like art critics and you know, and stuff can be a little bit dismissive of the, of the Nutcracker because it seems just a little bit too sweet, a little bit too um, kind of yeah, saccharine candy Christmas dreams can come true kind of thing. But it's literally, I, all the characters are candy. It's literally are. In fact, this is this is yeah. the tough part. They are literally all candy. Um, but I but just I think your point is really great because like. Um, the score itself actually is it's i mean this is tchaikovsky this is this is we're not kidding around this is this is superlative music um there is nothing cheesy or campy or overdone about this it's there's a lot i mean it is a lot of a lot because it's capital r romanticism i mean this is tchaikovsky this is what you're going to get um but it's it it's majestic music that has an incredible gravitas and dignity to it um, and so even in a production that is like very chintzy or whatever, like the music has this incredible drama to it that like in, in the end, this is, this is 
this is a very elaborate and and, uh, and and stunningly beautiful and rich work of art. And so even if it's done in sort of a cheesy kind of like, oh, dreams can come true kind of way, like the, the music is, remains the music and the dance remains the dance, you know? Um, and like, it, 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 I think there's actually something very beautiful about that, the way that it... it um, you can say like, oh, this is just another example of like American commodification of like high European culture and this kind of stuff. But I might actually propose that it's the other way around or or, or that it's a little bit different, which is that like, yeah, we do, we are looking at like a lot of the kind of like um, so, so, social, economic, cultural effects of like the spread of kind of high culture in America in the post-war period um, with a certain amount of like commodification and cheesification, all that kind of stuff. But like, but look what's come out of that is that like everyone knows um, – that the dance of the sugar plum fairies. Everyone knows this. Um, mm. Everyone knows like a bunch of chunks of this score, which are, inc- which which is really fancy and like stunningly beautiful music. You know, yeah, it's, it's um, amazing. It's so good. And and like and I I, I think you know to your point that like the high degrees of like lo- local regional adaptation actually allow that to happen rather than fighting against it. You know, I mean, you can think of a bad production that would fight against it, fine. But like, uh, but a well-done production somehow, I mean, you're looking at a real kind of inculturation here where you can you can really make this your own local thing, you know? Um, so like the Joffrey Ballet's version, um, uh, many of its aspects are fairly different. You know, like the, it's it's not a young girl who's at the heart. Of, it's not a, it's not a, a a small girl who's who's the Clara figure. Um, if I remember correctly, it's a she's huge. She's, she's huge. eleven it's, feet tall. She's eleven. She's a, that's before the Christmas tree grows and everything. She's just a giant. Um, and you know, and there and and it's you know, and it's about like Chicago in the in the in the World's Fair time. So there are there is a little bit of grittiness to it at the beginning. You know, these are like hardworking immigrant children and stuff and everything. But like, but nonetheless, oh, like very very rapidly, it comes into this like very beautiful. Um, not denying the rest of it, but like it comes into this whole very beautiful sort of experience of family and life and like the the World's Fair is this like so, a series of like iconic images that like give you. Uh, a way of experiencing your own history in the context of your country's history and your and your fr- former country's history and your new country's history and all this stuff that's like ends up being really really cool. Um, yeah, the Pittsburgh version that I grew up with is a lot like that, it, and it people are fiercely sort of loyal and proud to it. Pittsburgh, you know, this classically the steel city that was founded by these huge tycoons, right? So, you know, the Carnegies and the Fricks and all these guys, right? And so the party itself that the that starts the show, right? Because Clara is given this nutcracker at this big Christmas Eve ball, it's all being attended by these tycoons. And, cool. And yeah. it's the you know, and then when the toys and the candy comes out to to fight the the rat army, um, they're all toys from a the copied from the illustrations of a very specific um, toy catalog that was released in Pittsburgh in the forties. And they took all those toys and built like giant cuts. So That's there's so a, cool. so there's like a tin elephant so riding cool. a unicycle that goes around like bopping rats on the head and stuff. And it's like from the illustrations, it's really, really fun. One of the, you, you mentioned the Pacific Northwest version. That's a lot spookier. Um, 
when I was a kid, we had, cause you know, like when you get cable packages, I mean, I'm dating myself here, but like when you used to get cable packages, there'd be your main channels that you actually subscribed for. And then there'd be sort of a junk drawers worth of like random channels that were sort of barely hanging on and staying alive. Okay. Corn cob TV and stuff like this. Right. Well, like there used to be television for artists, which was just deliciously pretentious. And every day <laughs> in December, they do 25 days of nutcracker where what? every Every day was a different pro shot of a different Nutcracker production from somewhere in the world. And they wow. would choose the That's weirdest. That's actually amazing. They would do the weirdest ones they could. And the one that stands out in my memory as being like traumatically scary was there's a Maury Sendak production. Maury <laughs> oh Sendak, gosh. the oh. illustrator of um, Where the Wild Things Are and all those really macabre, spooky stories. So oh, he hey. did all of the costumes. He did all – so like the Nutcracker was looming when spooky uh, – maybe it's the same one. Looming spooky eyes and the rats you know, are very sort of macabre looking and gigantic. And that one was terrifying, but also very cool. It stands out in my memory. Um, and then there's also one going like super viral on TikTok right now that you and I were talking about the other day where um, like the little nutcracker is running around. He's got his like wooden face and everything. And then the big Shyamalanian twist reveal is that his costume sort of flies off when he becomes a boy again. And the whole time <gasps> it was Macaulay Culkin that, from that, Home that's Alone. That's actually um, the, the George Balanchine uh, New York City Ballet production yes yeah yeah well, but it was the, the third original. year where it was yes macaulay culkin, was macaulay culkin from it was Home actually Alone. macaulay culkin that's yeah incredible. the whole time it was like it was macaulay culkin the whole like, time because in that production like the nutcracker prince boy in the second half basically does zero dancing you could okay. throw in whatever young celebrity boy you wanted and because as you're talking about um the New York City Ballet would often broadcast the Nutcracker. It could be kind of a fun little thing to be like, oh, starring Twist. this celebrity yeah. in the Nutcracker. But in reality, he does like nothing. Well, really. like that's the first act, you can have a different little boy being the Nutcracker just wearing like the Nutcracker mask. Yeah. And then it just takes off the mask and switches into the celebrity boy. Exactly. So I'm holding out for Justin Bieber. In the <laughs> I I need this to happen. Uh, that's, that's my. That's yeah. You keep you keep living Christmas the dream. That wish. might be that that might be that might be too much enculturation. Um, but I do like you're bringing you're bringing in our uh, our whole North American twist here. Canada, America, commodification, making mistakes with your lives. You're really you know you're you're yeah. doing it all at once here, yeah, which exactly. I like. Justin yeah. Bieber, very famous Canadian, so it all works out. <laughs> so it all it all it all works out. Um, well, listen, there is there is a ton more to say here, but um, I'm so afraid more, we do but... we have to we have to we have to wrap this up. But um, but Jessica, thanks so much, thanks so much for joining us. It's um, thanks for it's always me. a delight being able to talk with yes. you, and then it's particularly a delight uh, being able to. We've been hoping to talk about this topic for a long time, and being able to talk with you with your actual experience of having like deep done done deep dive into this from, from your own experience is like it's just really really great i've, um, I've served my nutcracker time yes exactly and i don't know i just say i propose to, to to those who are listening that um that there is something really wonderful here about this that even um that we're showing like the real face of of um 
uh, what you can call this, this scholar I was talking about called an invented tradition, which is that like, yeah, it, it, I mean, it's really, it really is invented in the 1960s, but then, but now it becomes a real thing. And like now every time that we do it, we are really like enacting this as a really concrete living tradition that's important for our culture and for who we are and like how we live together and how we think about our shared space and time and lives and things. Um, and I think there's something really wonderful about that because you see it in all of its ugliness, you know, like it's kind of the, the commodification, the like, whatever you want to talk about it, the the frustrations as a dancer, its difficulties, <laughs> it's it's over emphasis in the place of like the ballet world in America and all this kind of stuff. Um, and you okay, good. Like it's, it's good. Like we can let's attend to those things because they're because they're helpful to think about. Um, and they do not in any way detract from like the splendor and beauty of the shared reality, which is extremely local for as being totally universal as it is in, in the North American context. It's also like extremely local and it's take it, it takes its power from like me doing this and like me, you know, you taking your, your kids there and like you being a part of this dance world. And then like, you know, you think your your little girl thinking like, Oh my gosh, I, that could be me or like this and this and this and this and this. And that, you know, I think is really like, this is, this is the, this is the joy and the power of the art that like, is actually given to us to make and to participate in and to celebrate together, which is that like, um, it is this broad reality. It is this thing that we're sort of touching our toes into to twinkle. Um, <laughs> and for better and for worse, all at the same time, this is actually the art that we're given to make um, our lives out of. And and that's just in everything that we do with the kind of little invented traditions that we have in our you know individual families, individual family and friend groups. Um, these are these are the arts of our lives. So with that, I say go forth and make cool things. This has been Created Things, a production of Art, Soul, and Mind, hosted by Jacob Flores Popcheck and Father Gabriel Toretta, produced by Kyle Meineke and Jessica Flores Popcheck. Theme song by Federico Carranza. For more on this podcast and the artists featured, follow us on Instagram at Created Things Podcast. And subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are streamed. 